Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 244 of the Take Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Milk Cleanse, an interview with Jody Levy. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, this is a really interesting episode that we're excited to share with you. Uh, we have a uh, young woman who is an artist, a designer, and a serial entrepreneur who went on a lengthy Lyme disease journey, and she ultimately found symptomatic relief when she was introduced to Dr. Linda Lancaster, who in New Mexico had created the Milk Cleanse. And after having a really positive experience with the Milk Cleanse and getting herself into remission, she wanted to share this with the masses, and she created a partnership with Dr. Lancaster, and they are now bringing the Milk Cleanse to the masses. So without further ado, folks, we're really excited to introduce to you Jody Levy. Hello, Jody Levy, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Jody, let's give our audience a context for Jody Levy. Um, let's begin with where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from the Detroit area, which is where I'm from and where I've been the last couple of years during this crazy pandemic pause. So when you say it's where you're from, is that where you grew up? Is that where you spent your childhood? Yes, I grew up about 20 minutes north of Detroit. And, uh, you know, people that are from Detroit are really proud of being from the Detroit area. I am one of them. And uh, talk to us about what it was like to grow up in the, uh, I guess, the suburban northern territories of Detroit. Yeah. So like, you know, growing up in the suburbs of America in the 80s is definitely weird. Um, <laughs> and as like kind of a, you know, somebody that came into this world with like, a lot of intuition and um, creativity and artistic gifts and kind of being a little bit on like the weirder spectrum than the normal spectrum. It was very challenging in a lot of ways. But well, let's talk I, about that. So, so when did you first discover you had these traits or these, or these gifts that uh, you began to describe for us? Early on. Um, so I grew up in in a, a community that was like very much, you know, suburban Detroit. And I didn't- what, what does that mean? We don't, we, we certainly don't know what that means as New Yorkers. And I'm sure most of the community of folks that listen to this podcast would know what that means. What does it mean to be very much like uh, the suburban Detroit area? Um, you know, over, so Detroit's like a melting pot of lots of different people from all over the world, very much how New York is. So, you know, in like the end of the 1800s, and then again, after World War II, a lot of people came over from different parts of the globe. And they kind of like either ended up in New York, or they migrated to the Detroit area, they were New York and Detroit were sister cities. So there's this incredible um, amalgamation of people from all walks of life. And people like me, I'm like a fifth generation Detroiter. So and then in the 1960s, when the race riots started in the city, everybody started sprawling out. So the Detroit metropolitan area is actually huge. And then a lot of people that grew up in the city ended up in the suburbs. So it's, it's a really um, different type of sprawl than what we see in other American cities. The amazing thing for me is that because I was very artistic being close to Detroit where there's some of the best art schools and design schools and artists and people creating and making in the music world, you know, having such deep roots. It was actually such a gift. You know, you've got this like weird weather where it's like cold and gray, which I believe is the perfect environment for like productivity and creativity. 
So I was very much governed by the four seasons of the year and having these like intense periods of, of making and creating and doing and having the closeness to the city. So it was, I kind of look at it as like the perfect formula for the, the weird blend of things that I, that make me who I am. Okay. So, but I, I'm really interested in, in your creative, your creative talents and how you began to learn about these creative talents and what challenges you had to face to ultimately understand the beauty of this uh, creative talent that you were, you were made with. So from the time I was really young, I was always expressing myself with mark and color and like paint and drawing and stuff. And then I had this experience when I was in second grade. So I was eight years old that I remember to this day that I still believe sort of like set me on my trajectory. Um, I was in school and I was in art class and we were asked to copy a Georgia O'Keeffe painting. And I picked this like purple flower, which I never liked the color, but I like had to, I had to draw this purple and pink flower. And I remember we were using gouache paint, you know, the paint that like smells like egg sulfur. And I completely hit flow state or what I now know is flow state, right? I like lost time and space. I suspended. And it wasn't until like the bell rang that I was like, whoa, that was awesome. Like that felt really good. Like whatever that was, I'm here to like find that. And I went home and I was like, hey, you guys, mom, dad, like I'm an artist. That's what I am. And they were like, okay, great. And honestly, from that point on, they really nurtured the fact that like I knew who I was. And so they quickly made the studio for me in the back of their house. It was all surrounded by windows. And it was like my place where I got to do whatever I wanted. I'd be on ladders painting the ceiling and I'd be like taking, I, you know, my mom would leave and I would take her um, vacuum cleaner and I would pull it all apart and reconstruct it and paint it and turn it into like a lobster sculpture. I mean, I was terrible, but it was like in the name of art, right? So it was all okay. So I learned, it's sort of the inception point of all my kind of like entrepreneurial ways of thinking too. I would set my, my thoughts on like wanting to accomplish something and then I would figure out all the steps to do it and then I would just go do it. And then I, you know, usually get in trouble for it. So talk to us about how this, this discovery of your artistic and creative talents ultimately developed into a problem-solving skill set. So I, from the time I was in, you know, eight years old <laughs> until the time I finished college, I was on this journey of really pursuing um, my fine art, my love for fine art and painting drawing, sculpture, fiber arts, installation arts, which I still do all of. And when I finished art school at the Art Institute of Chicago, I knew that I didn't want to have to rely on selling my artwork as a career because I didn't want my artwork to change for commerce. So I went into design and I started to apply what I call my plot process, which is design thinking process to working with Fortune 50 companies all over the world. I actually was a founder in the world's first experiential design company, kind of merging marketing communications and installation art with the concept of people learn by applying 
you know, all different forms of um, the senses, right? So hearing something, seeing something, tasting something, smelling something, creating interaction. So you hit the sixth sense of proprioception and immersing somebody in the story of anything allows them to remember it, right? So we would apply this thinking to large-scale automotive launches or huge installations in museum of, you know, modern art or uh, science museums around the world or working for brands like Coca-Cola and Toyota and Lexus. And so we were taking the process of creating art and the design thinking of creating the core communication to tell a story and then merging it with all these big brands that were looking for new ways to engage and like tell really big complex stories to new audiences. So put some meat on that phone for us. Give us an example of one of the companies you worked with and how you brought this new approach to storytelling to uh, a different community. Um, okay, so Lexus, so I was involved for 10 years launching most of the products for Toyota Lexus and the Scion brand. And we were always tasked with a lot of that work over that decade was like hydrogen fuel cell technology, um, hybrid technology, new forms of battery technology. It kind of, I, I went into automotive because I was very much focused on ecology and sustainability and how we make change. And I felt like going into the automotive industry was sort of going into the belly of the beast, right? Well, and also you're a gal from Detroit, right? I, mean, <laughs> I am, yes. Center of at least American uh, automotive industry, right? Yes, except most of our clients were either, you know, in Japan or California, but yes, it made a lot of sense. Um, so one, one, when we were, we were working on a project for Lexus and they were like, okay, we have this new vehicle. It, um, there was an environmental twist to it, but it was for a predominantly female audience with a focus on design. And um, it was really meant to connect to, you know, the, like a specific demographic. I don't remember what it was. I think it was like 45 to 60 year old women. So we did this whole campaign. It was right around Valentine's day. And it was all about, um, I'm trying to remember the tagline, but we, it was like connected to this flower and the unfolding of a flower to create a surprise and delight, right? And so there were a couple components that we released at the same time. And one of them in conjunction with the auto show that was going on in Chicago at that moment when this reveal happened, we put this hundred foot giant glowing flower in the middle of Michigan Avenue. We had all of the news stations come, all the weather people came and did their daily weather forecast from it. We had all these theatrical performers on stilts and these amazing outfits that were all white. And they were handing out these little, you know, paper flowers that would unwrap petal by petal by petal. And there was like a little web address in it. And when you went to the web address, there was this whole video and this interactive experience. And it kind of gave, there was a, a something that people could get if they put their information in and they saw the information about the, the vehicle. And it, you know, it was the combination of like the thing you take home, the spectacle, the, um, the way that the story was controlled out to the public, the actual 
launch the exhibit that was up for, you know, weeks and then that toured the world that was all very, very consistent. So one core communication connected to every single touch point. And the best part about this was that I was in Chicago four years after this and I got into a taxi and he had the flower because it was sticky. It was like a sticker on the front of his taxi. And I was like, what is that? And he told me the whole story and how it was the most amazing thing he had ever seen. And it just, it left this indelible impression. So sometimes I do that for clients globally. And sometimes now I do that for my own brands and the companies that I'm partners in. Okay. So let's talk about, let's go back to the educational experience. So you, you went to high school, ultimately to college and then to design school. So talk to us about about what your experience was like in high school educationally, what college you went to and why you chose that college and what your goals were and how that then led you to pivot over to design school. Okay, I never went to design school. I'm self-taught in design school. But um, so I grew up in Michigan. I went to public school until I was like in middle school. And then I went to this really amazing place called Cranbrook. Um, And people know it from the movie, Eight Mile. And uh, I knew because, you know, I had this experience, I knew I was an artist and there is a um, master's program, an institute that's like a a master's of fine arts institute at Cranbrook. That's one of the best in the world. And because of my passion for art, I was treated very differently and got to work with a lot of the professors that were at the, um, the master's institute. So I had a studio from the time I was like in, you know, through in all the way through high school and I was making huge pieces and um, I really, they really created a a very specialized environment, kind of respecting and understanding that I had this passion and this drive and this direction towards the arts. And then. So it sounds to me like you have a lot of people who are, who are, trying to create an enriching environment for you. First your parents, and now your professors at college. Totally. So talk um, to us about how that then developed. So then I you know, knew that I wanted to go to art school and I was sort of like in this world of, you know, is it gonna be Pratt or Parsons or RISD or the Art Institute of Chicago? And I realized that I had had this sort of strange um, four years in high school that was like a, an art program. And I decided to go to Skidmore College in upstate New York, which they had an amazing art school, but they also had a liberal arts education. And I worked my butt off to get in and I got in and I went there. And that was sort of where the beginning of my tick journey started, but I didn't okay. really know it. So let's, let's, let's pause there because I think that's an important element of a story on the tick boot camp, right? Yes. <laughs> So um, before you go to Skidmore, and, and, I, and I do want to build that out with you, were you an outdoorsy gal? Did you have a lot of, a lot of um, experiences in nature that helped to inspire your art? What was your, what was your experience as, uh, as an outdoors person? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I am, um, what I realize now is that my art is a reflection and an expression of my intuition, which is strange and different than most people. And, um, that gets heightened, you know, when I'm like 
don't have interferences from cities and insanity. So nature is like the place where I would kind of go to feel my best and my most grounded self. Um, I spent as much time as possible, you know, in the lakes, in the woods, in the forests. And that's the best part of Michigan. It's like, it's all right there for you. But in that time in Michigan, there were very few ticks and there was no tick awareness. So I never was trained the way that my friends on the East Coast were to be cautious, conscious, work on prevention and know what to do about it. So so let's pause there for a second, Jody. How do you know there weren't many ticks if you were not aware of the ticks? Meaning if the educational system that you had or the support system you had from your family did not put young Jody in a position where she was aware or she needed to be aware of the dangers of being out in nature when she was gaining her inspiration in nature. How do you know there weren't many ticks? Only because now I've, you know, gone back and researched where, where science, where we were, where science was and the timings and things like that. Okay. So let's fast forward to you now coming to the East coast, right? You now come to uh, uh, New York, you go to your dream college, you worked your butt off to get into this college and you wanted to make sure that you had the best experience. Now, how did Skidmore prepare their students for the experience that you were seeking at that college? I don't know how to answer that because I, I was sort of driven and on my path. Um, so I don't think I relied that much on the institution, so to speak, to provide that. I was just sort of doing my thing. I but I also... I'm going to ask the question a little bit differently, and okay. and I understand that you were you were you were this driven artist who was uh, who had set a goal for herself, and you are now you are now looking to use Skidmore <clears throat> College as a vehicle to achieving this goal that you had set for yourself, right? But there, anytime we go to college, there are there are orientations, and there are you know just just tools that the colleges and universities use to acquaint their students with the experience they're about to be offered. And I'm just wondering whether or not, did you go to orientation? Did you have, you know, they walk you around campus, they show you where the dorms were. I mean, did you have those kinds of experiences to help you get centered and ready to, um, to learn what um, was available to you? I don't know if I did. I'm a bit of a rebel when it comes to authority. Um, I'm surprised to hear that. I feel like um, I maybe didn't, but I definitely never was told or educated about like ticks. So you don't believe there was ever, uh, there was ever any part of your orientation experience or any part of the the experience of introducing to the culture of the college or university that you were attending, which would have prepared you to protect yourself from the danger that was a part of going to school in New York. No, but there's a really good chance that I just didn't go. Okay. (laughs) Do you think it's possible? Because I, quite frankly, Jody, I think it would be unique because we've asked this question of many, many people. Yeah, yeah, of course it's possible. I seriously, like, I just wouldn't do stuff. Like I was there I wanted to learn. I, I, I've been like, on, I've been like creating businesses and doing my thing for years. I was there to like meet new people and hang out. And I like to party and I like to, I was like, I was excelling. I was celebrated for the art that I was creating. I was just sort of like doing my thing. Very, very possible that I missed it. 
Okay, so let's look. When you're doing your thing during your, your time at, at Skidmore, um, what type of outdoor activities were you engaging in? And if you were aware of ticks as a danger to your health, would you have either avoided some of the activities you participated in, which I would think probably not, or would you have taken some steps to protect yourself so that you're, you're, you would not um, get sick? For sure. So I was, there's a, like the backwoods behind, you know, in Saratoga Springs, New York is gorgeous. And I was there every day. And I was, we were, you know, when I think about being on the ground in the ways that we were and running around and like, for sure, if I knew, or if I was with people who are more cautious, it would have been very prevalent because as much as I kind of do my thing, I'm, um, I'm incredibly conscientious of like what's safe and what's not safe. And um, it was around that time that I started to like lose a little bit of the Energizer bunny in me. And I, but I still like, I, I never put it together for years. So, but yes, like looking back, thinking about when I actually got sick for the first time, there is not one part of me that wonders where, I mean, I was doing stuff in those woods that like, I, I was completely ignorant. So when you say you were doing things in the woods that were completely ignorant, meaning were you camping? Were you, were you having picnics and laying in the grass? I mean, what were you specifically doing that was so risky that you could have protected yourself from, from, from getting sick? I mean, I was just, I was doing everything. Like I was sitting on, I was sitting on the grass. I was sitting on the ground, drawing and painting and hanging out like, yeah, I mean, picnics, sleeping, like you name it. I mean, now I'm like, you know, I wear white little white socks up to the middle of my thighs and I spray my ankles with stuff and I put like lavender um, dryer wipes in my socks and I'm like, you know, I'll stay on the path and I'm just like, when I look out in like the East Coast at a forest, all I see is like, you know, I imagine all the LED lights that are like these microcosm, you know, micro little uh, things everywhere that are like, you know, bound to attack me. Right. So, um, yes, I was just, I was putting myself at what I now know is risk a thousand times over, but I never had a bite. I never had a ring. I never had anything like that. Okay. So let's talk about, now when you say you didn't have a bite, you didn't have a bite, you discovered you were bitten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I was, I'm sure I was like, you know, feasted on. Okay. So let's, let's now focus on how the, the um, illness that is developing as a result of your tick bite is causing you to, I guess, suffer fatigue and what impact this fatigue is having on your educational experience. So after my first year in college, I came back to Michigan and um, this was like 1997 and Detroit was like lit up with the music industry. I mean, there was so much amazing stuff going on in the underground electronic music scene of which I was very plugged into. Um, I've never been one to drink. Like I'm not, I like to dance. You know, when I dance, I'm like in my sneakers with my fanny pack and I drink electrolytes, but I loved to dance. And so I'd be like out late for the music and my site, my, you know, my world was a little, um, non-traditional. So I'm home for the summer. I'm with my friends. We're like, you know, enjoying this amazing time in Detroit music history. And I was feeling really bad. 
like my brain was fuzzy. I was always tired. I was never rested. And I just like, I couldn't remember stuff. And my parents were like, you're fine. You're out all night. Obviously you don't feel good. And I was like, no, you guys don't understand. Like, I'm not like, I'm not drinking. I'm not doing crazy things. I'm going to dance. Like this isn't normal. And it was months of me trying to convince them that I was like, I was not a great kid before college. And I'm probably still not a great kid at 42 years old, but I have a lot of fun and I live life to the fullest. And, you know, they were just like rolling their eyes at me. They're like, of course you don't feel good. Well, that ended up that summer at the end of the summer of them thinking I was just, you know, being crazy with me in the hospital with mono Epstein bar and my liver basically failing. And it was 1997. Like nobody in Michigan knew that those were precursors to Lyme. Nobody really knew what Lyme was. And like, I just had to kind of deal with it. I ended up going back to Skidmore for another year, but took like two classes instead of eight. And was, it was like, I remember, I don't remember that much because my brain started to fog then, but like, I just remember like going, I'd go to class, I'd sort of work, my work was shit. And I'd come home and I would just be like so tired. And in my head, I was like, yeah, I got, I got mono, right? Like kids get that. It took me 18 years to figure out what was going on. So in this period of your life, you're, you're pursuing your or developing your artistic and creative side, which it seems to be even on a social side, now adding sort of this or developing this sort of multi-sensory, you're, 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 you're a big part of now the music scene in Detroit, you're developing your artistic skills. When do you pivot over to the design element of that experience? Um, so I ultimately left Chicago after that year and I went and traveled the world. Um, I would get grants for being in, like a student interested in the arts. And I went to New Zealand for a year. I did some stuff in Europe. And when I came back, I transferred to the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, had a great run. And in 2001, finished art school um, and moved back to Detroit and got deeply into the design space. So the, so the, the educational window is you, you leave Skidmore as a result of not feeling well enough to complete that process. And then you go on the sort of journey. I didn't leave because of that. Um, I, I just was sort of like, I don't know. I feel, I guess I, I follow, I just follow things as they come. There was a really interesting master's program at Skidmore which is, is very unusual where they had like a school without walls and people go places around the world and then they get credit. And so I went to the master's program and I was basically like, I'm an undergrad, but I want to go do other things. So could I, as an undergrad participate in that? And they, I think said yes. So I like went to New Zealand and it was before the Sydney Olympics. And I was very, very focused on how fine art can be a platform to tell stories about the ecology of our planet and sustainability, which was very foreign in America at the time. And so I was recognizing that there was this body of artists down in New Zealand. And because the Sydney Olympics were coming, 
many of them were working on these huge commissions that were about to gain global recognition and and really emphasize what's going on on our planet and the the ecosystem of the planet. So I somehow convinced somebody that it was a good idea to send me down there. And I did that for a year and I worked with all these amazing artists who are doing these huge installations. I was actually the first person to ever create a, um, like a consortium of artists, sculptors from New Zealand that were telling these stories. It was very kind of specific. They all thought I was nuts, but I had the best time ever. I was like traveling around. I would live, one artist came back from Germany so that I could work with him and I was like staying in a studio and he was going through a divorce and we weren't allowed in the house. So he like would go to the river and, and get like cockles or something and make them with butter every night. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm living on these things for days. Like, what am I doing here? And I was like, you know, his nephew is big strapping New Zealand nephew would come and be like, let's go, you know, uh, sea kayaking. And I'd be like, okay, great for three days, I like couldn't move my shoulders. Like I was like, sea kayaking sounded fun. I'm destroyed. So I was just living this adventure and, you know, having like making the most out of college, which was a little different for me than everyone else. At the time you were going through this experience um, and you were learning, uh, you know, an artistic presentation that was not uh, available in in, uh, the US at the time. Were, were, was your intuition telling you anything about how you were feeling and whether or not it was connected to uh, the environment? No. Um, you know, I think that I, I'm somebody that like just perseveres. So I'll tell you where it started to show up. So I remember that year I can look back and recall that I would feel like sad and lonely. And like, there was like a, a bit of a depression that I would recognize that I no longer have, but I can trace it back all the way to there. And I associate it with Lyme now. Um, there are other things over that, you know, 18 year span that cleared once I fully reset my body um, that started to show up then, but got worse like a real kind of snappy impatience. Uh, I would, my tolerance for like things that required a lot of um, like my brain space and my energy really stressed me out. There was like an anxiety that started to build. There was um, like, I, I didn't, I would, had been looking to figure out why I didn't feel the same way as other people. Like I would, I would see people kind of like living out in the world and feeling joyful and energetic seemed so easy for them. But for me, it, it was, it was taking so much effort. So, so going back to where we were in the story, I think I just, I was like on the other side of the planet, right? Like I was away from home. I was away from stuff. I think I just, just justified it, which I did all the way through, right? I justified being snappy and impatient because there was too much work and there was, you know, like all, I'd been traveling 400,000 miles a year. And I mean, there were always things that I could kind of like intellectualize. But now that I like actually reset my body, I was like, oh my God, that was that. So there's things I recognize later that I could identify as I was going through it. So did the gritty Jody um, and the 
person who rationalizes challenges and just works through them um, see any doctors during the 18 years where she was having these, these various challenges? Oh yeah. Like all kinds. And they were all like, you're the bill of health. Everything's perfect. And I would see like everything from specialists, gut specialists to naturopaths, Ayurvedic experts, Ayurvedic doctors, intuitives. I would do jungle medicine. I would see functional medicine experts, like everybody. And even when I was like deeply rooted in the functional medicine space, I got um, inaccurate tests for years. So I was just constantly trying to chase the symptoms and I couldn't, I could never get to the root. All right, so now let's let's bring the designer to um, to the now um, challenges that you're you're facing. So you uh, you you move to the design space, and uh, and you're you're now you're now pivoting over from from the from the fine art space. Uh, and talk to us about what you were doing professionally with uh, in the design space, and whether or not you are now using the tools you were you were learning in the. And, and studying in the design space to design your life? Um, so, yeah, so I'm, st- I, so right now, so I'm still an artist and a designer. The, um, the design work that I was doing is really focused on like, you know, identifying a problem and creating a solution. And often when I build brands or environments or experiences, that's in the world of like, let's make it sexy. Let's make the story sticky and simple so people can't help but share it. Let's bring amazing people in it that can help you know, propel the story so it can make big impact in the world. I look at products and objects as interfaces to bigger stories and mission. So I started doing that uh, when I was 21 and I've been doing it ever since. Um, and I... Uh, I studied a lot of design process thinking and then created my own process by which I identify a problem. I identify, you know, the opportunities, the constraints, um, who it affects. And then, you know, through a very specific um, linear process, how we get to the best solution, which then leads to the core communication. I apply that to everything. I apply it to my health journey. I apply it to a problem with one of my employees. I apply it if a friend is, you know, comes to me for help trying to figure something out. It's something that I can now do, you know, like secondhand. I kind of, I cut through all the steps and just kind of get to it. It's, you know, the alchemy of kind of like half art, half science, right? But it's called my plot process and I apply it to everything. Okay, and to so- this. Yeah. So let's let's apply it. Talk to us about how you applied the plot process to your diagnostic and healing journey. Okay. So there's a there's a a work. So there's a a path to kind of get us to the place where I identified this. So I was sort of thinking that I was fine, and that you know, like I knew internally something was wrong, but everyone thought I was nuts because I would go see doctors and I would go you know, anybody that was around me that was sick, I would get sick. And I was just like, this isn't my, like, this is actually happening. Right. And none of the normal tests and stuff would, as you guys know, like, you know, 
pick anything up. And so I got deeply embedded in the functional medicine space. I was very fortunate to have access to a lab that had, you know, a lot of tests that normal doctors don't do. Did all of those tests for a couple of years, nothing came up. And so I had a team um, that, so basically I would, I started to identify all of the places in my life that didn't seem normal. I can't remember things. I am exhausted all the time. I, my gut's a mess. I can't eat anything. Like I, you know, I, I don't eat gluten. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat dairy. I don't eat a thousand specific foods. Like I, you know, when I climb a mountain, things hurt me that don't hurt other people. Like all these things. And I'm like, okay, so all these things are here. And here's what I know about like what's going on in my body. And at this point, you know, we had sort of had like 23 and me had come out. So there were some like genetic things. So I sort of understood genetic snips that were happening. And I had studied Ayurveda enough to understand that like, I, there's these three constitutions to every body and things get in and out of balance. So I was playing with like the Ayurvedic principles and using different types of herbs and foods to balance. And I had a lot of success with that, but like nothing ever got me better. Right. And so I was like mapping all these things. And I was just constantly looking at like, where are the constraints, right? Like what triggers are, are making me worse? What triggers are making me better? And, you know, I, I have a visual mind. So I, I can map things. It's like, uh, somebody asked me recently, like how I would describe myself. I'm like a cartographer. Like I study the terrain, I build the maps. I understand how to get from point A to point B, right? With the most efficiency. Um, and so I was like doing this, but it, was, it wasn't getting me anywhere. Like typically my process is like, shoop, right? It's like very streamlined. So I kind of had it open, like it was on a blackboard, you know, and there was like chalk piling on the ground because I kept just trying and trying and trying and trying, but I couldn't get there. And I had known that I was like, there were a lot of co-infections. I didn't know they were co-infections at the time. And I was treating myself for one of them. I was constantly in this like balancing act, constantly going back to the plot process on the board, right? Like what's happening, what's making stuff worse, what's making stuff better. There were micro things like this thing's hacking my brain a little bit. I seem to have less brain fog and I seem to have less pain in my back and I seem to have my guts a little bit better, but it was like micro. And I had been on something like a supplement or a pill or something for a year, which was like a biofilm buster. And I believe that that created an environment where when I finally ran another, you know, super expensive hygienics Lyme test, I got the results back and I had 14 different types of tick-borne illnesses that were a combination of Lyme and um, tick-borne parasites. And it was this that allowed me to finally get from the first layer of my plot process into the actual process. Okay, so let's pause there. So we yeah. have 18 years where you're seeing various types of practitioners. Did Lyme disease come up ever between when you first started to seek help from practitioners and when you finally 
located your diagnosis from Igenix? Yeah, in the last like three years. And yeah. I got negative tests a bunch of times. So how did it come up? And what was your reaction during that three-year window when Lyme was now a consideration? Anything that came up, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Like anything that would identify what was going on with me, I was like, just give me the thing so I can tackle it, right? Right. And then it would come back negative and I'd be like, wah, wah, wah. Now, so, when you, but, but when you were working with these practitioners, um, and you're, uh, so I'm assuming you were taking tests, either blood tests or urine tests or some type of test during that three-year window mm-hmm. that Lyme was on the table uh, and uh, the tests were coming back negative. Did any of the practitioners tell you, hey, Jody, these tests aren't really, um, these tests are not particularly sensitive enough to truly diagnose. There's a, there, there's a lot, there's a great likelihood that uh, you could have Lyme disease, but you would, you know, you'd get a false negative. Mm-hmm. And we can clinically diagnose you rather than using this as the only indicator for Lyme. Yes to the first part, not the last part. So everybody that I was working with has sort of been, they've been on the forefront of this, um, this war. And they're the best of the best. And they were very, very close to me. And, um, you know, I, I had all access. So it was like, I knew that the tests weren't working, which is why I would take them over and over and over and over again. Um, I knew, you know, the correlation between Lyme and mold. Like I started to see the world of, you know, Richie Shoemaker and Neil Nathan and Dave Asprey. And like, these were all, you know, they were all on my team and we were like, smells like mold looks, I smells like Lyme looks like Lyme, you know, it, it is Lyme, but like we were getting negative tests. So Um, It wasn't until I spent a year on this medicine that I believe I was able to get some of the stuff moving in my body and actually uh, treat it. I'm not somebody that would go and treat Lyme for no reason, right? Especially with like the way that the doctors or the traditional doctors, not my doctors, but the traditional doctors would typically do that. Okay. So I'm I'm wondering... How you use the design process you described for us, uh, the, the, the process thinking where you define a problem, you look at opportunities, you look at the uh, constraints and you come to a best solution and whether or not you could have used that process to get you to a solution to overcome the challenges that Lyme disease were creating for you, even without a Lyme disease diagnosis. Um, uh. I don't know how to answer that because I think I was doing that and I was trying tons of stuff. So I was like, I was, you know, I would joke every time I would leave like one of the practitioner's offices, I'd like pay exorbitant amounts of money. And I'd be like, do I get my, you know, custom leather jacket now? I mean, it was like the amount of money I threw away doing stuff that came from all these just incredible doctors that were treating people, but what I started to see was that like, nobody was getting fully better. They might be feeling better, but they weren't getting better. So yes, I was, I was using my design process all the way through. And it was ultimately when I said, I'm the only one that knows my body. I am no longer listening to anybody, even if they're the best of the best. I am CEOing my own health. 
and I'm going to figure this out because if I don't, I'm not going to live. And if I do, I get to help everybody I know. Every single person in every one of these offices that is suffering and can't see straight and can't remember things and can't go to see their kids in their soccer games. If I can do this for me, I do it for everyone. And I kicked it into high gear and I started looking at all of the different people that were, you know, speaking about Lyme, treating Lyme. I started looking at the patients. I started talking to patients and nobody was getting better. Now, is this before you received the positive hygienics test or is this after the uh, positive test of hygienics? So I decided to CEO my own health before. And then after, when I finally figured it out, I spent like 12 months doing some very non-traditional things you know, UVLRX in my veins and different types of like um, injections and like different types of oxygenation treatments in my blood and um, uh, what else? Like um, colloidal silver and like, you know, pick lines and this and that. So nobody knew I was sick. I, I've, you know, I have a bunch of businesses. I've raised quite a bit of money for my businesses and I would leave my office at like one or two every day I would go to one of my doctor's offices. I had these setups. They would like set me up in the closets so that I could be on my video screen and we would light it. And I'd be able to like hide my arm where there would be something, you know, coming in me for hours. I would pretend everything was fine. And people would be like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm just working. And I would be like raising money, leading teams, inventing products, doing my thing. And, you know, I was an inspiration for a lot of the people working in these offices and people that were getting treatments because I never let it get me down. But what was happening behind closed doors was a lot of suffering. And I missed a lot of things that were important to me because, you know, this stuff takes its toll on you. And I would get better for like a few months, but it was never out of my system. So... So, Jody, I, I still want to be clear about this. So, this is this all predates your hygienics test. It doesn't all, all predate it. It. Oh. I decided to to CEO my own wellness before the the final hygienics test. Okay, and so then, let's pause there for a second. I want to explore that with you, right? Because this is a really important point in this community of people that you're communicating with right now on this podcast, right? Because we we certainly advocate for people to become the CEO of their own health. In fact, we just released the podcast with that very title. And that is the reason this young woman ultimately became healthy because when she made the decision to become the CEO of her own health, that was the beginning of her, uh, of her healing journey. It sounds like it was for you as well. But I do want you to look back with me on one other thing, because one of the things we also explore is coachability, right? And I'm wondering if either the gritty Jody, the Jody who, who was rationalizing her own, um, her own, um, health challenges, or the rebel maybe didn't offer her healthcare professionals all the information they needed in order to be able to help you the way you would have wanted them to help you. Untrue. Okay. So I, um, yeah, I, I am, I was impeccable with every test result. My Dropbox is a very sought after environment that, um, I've had researchers come to me and ask for. I, um, 
I, there's no part of me that was trying to, you know, like go to a psychic and have them proof that they're psychic. Like I, I was, I wanted to get my life back because I, I've always known that I was destined to do good things. So no, there's no part of that. That's true. So let's talk about coachability. Were, were there any practitioners who were offering you solutions that you didn't fully adopt in your, in your healing journey? Not one. Okay. So you were, when you got to the point where you were the CEO, CEO of your own health, you had gone on this journey with many other practitioners. You had tried everything that they had offered to you. You weren't getting any better because you were not getting any better. You had to take responsibility for building out a design for your healing because it didn't exist anywhere else, despite you trying it all, giving them all the information that they needed to help you and doing everything they asked you to do. And on top of that, seeing everybody I ever met still suffer. But more importantly, you were still suffering and you now had to design your own path to healing because there was no other path anywhere else that you either saw other people using or that you had fully exhausted yourself that was working for you. Correct. So now you, 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 accept, you accept responsibility for now designing this path. You're going to use this process that has been very helpful to you professionally to now design a path to your healing now that you're going to be the CEO. Mm-hmm. And shortly after becoming the CEO, the, uh, you know, the world actually offers you, or the universe offers you now a positive test for the first time shortly after you become the CEO. Mm-hmm. And how important was that for you now in designing your path forward? I don't know. I mean, I would have been on a path forward because that's who I am. So I would have, I was already doing some very avant-garde treatments. Um, so I don't, I don't, I think it was just one node along the way that helped direct, you know, which which road I took along, like on the, on the map, so to speak. Okay. So that's, so that's what I'm really asking you. So regardless of whether you had gotten a positive test from hygienics or not, mm-hmm. once you made a decision to become the CEO of your health, you are going to go on a path to heal. And regardless of whether or not you had gotten a positive test or not, you believe you would have been able to design the path to healing anyway. Yeah. Because I, I believe in myself and, and how I can create. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fixer, right? I'm a problem solver. That's like, that's my mastery. So now part of what we do as problem solvers is we take data and we allow the data to help us to define the problem and help us to design the opportunities or, or define the opportunities and constraints. So did the testing from hygienics offer you any data that you used when evaluating the opportunities and the constraints that you were u- utilizing to get you to the best solution. Yeah, I mean, it confirmed that I had 14 different types of tick-borne illnesses. Like it was an important node. It wasn't the only node. I also had, you know, um, discovered that I had very, very high counts of mycotoxins in my system. And so when I worked with all of my friends who are experts, I first decided to do like six months of a mold protocol within my body, which I also believe set me up for success when I finally did the thing that 
totally pulled me back into the universe from Lyme. Would you like to hear about it? Jody, before you, before, before we do, but just not yet, because I have some follow-up questions. So this okay. is, you're giving us so much good information. We don't want to miss anything here. So when you, when you had your 14 positive results for tick-borne illness and parasites, can you just give us an idea yes, as to what some of those were besides Lyme disease? Um, well, I mean, I look at it all as Lyme disease. Um, so, I mean, I had a couple of tick parasites like Babesia and things like that. But to me, I mean, do you, don't you think that Lyme disease kind of covers everything? Agreed. Yeah. So Lyme disease is not just the spirochete, which is Borrelia burgdorferi, is in your opinion. It's, it's all encompassing, correct? Totally. Okay. I mean, for so, me, it is. But it's like, for me, I, I also just have a world where I'm like, the body is an organism that's either in balance or out of balance. Like after mapping and doing all these crazy things, we live in a body that's either in balance or out of balance. And then it's in balance or out of balance to the environment around us. So everything around how I see people get 100% better is related to balancing the body in context to their environment in that moment in time in the geography that they are. If you have like a person that's got a bunch of tick-borne illnesses in their system and they've got a genetic SNP that makes it impossible for them to detoxify and they live in like moldy Florida, they're probably not set up for success. But, but let's talk about that, Jody, because you did mention that you had high levels of mycotoxins in your body. We know you had Lyme for 18 years, right? From 18 to 36 before you were diagnosed. And we know that when you have Lyme and you're, you're ill, your body will recirculate toxins rather than detox them and purge them for your body. So do you think that was, to your point earlier, it's never just Lyme, it's all encompassing. It was in the mold and everything else that was contributing to your overall health and illness at this time. Yeah, but we have a fundamental difference in our thinking because I don't believe that with Lyme in the body, you're unable to detoxify. I believe that it's a genetic disposition that you're unable to detoxify many things. Um, so you're referring that, to the MTHFR gene and, and the mold-specific mm -hmm. genes. Those are the ones you're referring to, correct? I don't believe it's mold-specific. I think it also connects to tick-borne illnesses and gotcha. heavy metals and you know, chemicals, all kinds of yeah. stuff. So in general, you believe that your body is unable to detox in general, not specific to Lyme, but obviously, I mean, here you are today healthy. You can overcome that, correct? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, you're living proof of that. So we believe that as well. Yeah. So now we understand the big picture. The first year after your diagnosis, you're doing all these things like UV LRX, you're doing things like oxygen therapy, colloidal silver, pick lines. You're literally working in a closet in a doctor's office while getting IVs and you're not getting any better. And you realize, all right, or, or you're getting a little bit better. But I was you're getting not, a little bit better. You're getting a little bit better, but you're, you're not where you want to be. And your project manager hat's coming on and you're saying, what am I going to do to get over this? Because this, I'm not getting to where I want to be after this one year period. What changes after that one year period? Yeah, that period was like more than a year. So that was probably like um, 20, 20, 2014 to 2016. So then I'm at uh, a, a dinner party at my best friend's house. And it was like, I was, I was in the position where I was like, not really going out. I couldn't remember anyone's names. I really didn't feel well. Some of it was probably the treatments I was doing. Some of it was that I was like, just working like crazy. Cause it brought me immense amounts of joy. And 
I just sort of only wanted to be with people that kind of like knew what I was going through just because I wasn't in like the happiest, most energetic place. There's only like so much hiding behind your smile that you actually like have energy for. So I went to this dinner party and this guy came up to me. I definitely give him the title of he's the one that saved my life. And, you know, I'm like very private. So even the conversations like this are very hard for me at this point, because I just, I don't like talking about not being well, not being optimized, failures, things like that. And he came up to me and he's like, Hey, listen, I know what you're going through. I know I'm not supposed to know. So like, don't, you know, be mad at Andre whose house I was at. He's like, I was sick with Lyme for, you know, a decade I kill, almost killed myself with antibiotics. I ultimately met this amazing woman. Her name is Dr. Linda Lancaster. She's out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. She has a system called Harmonic Healing. It's pretty woo-woo. I did it once, got my life back. I want you to introduce you to her. And I was like, okay, well, what is it? And he's like, it's called the milk cleanse. And I was like, you're kidding, right? What was it called? Harmonic what? I'm sorry. Harmonic healing is like her. She actually has a book on it. It's like her system that she um, created over the past, you know, 40 years. Um, And I mean, I like rolled my eyes so wide. It was obnoxious because I was like, I don't drink milk. Dairy is not good for you. This is ridiculous, you know? And, but I also was kind of like, okay, how, like, okay. Like, why would I say yes to all the other crazy things that I've done and not at least hear it out, right? So I was like, all right, all right. If you can get me into the doctor that doesn't take any new patients and like she's been healing people for 40 years like this and it actually is rooted in Ayurveda, okay, great. So I, of course, followed up because I got this beautiful introduction and um, I, I went and met her. She was in New York and was like, you know, knew that we had this kind of ancient connection. And she's this awesome kind of illuminated gray haired woman who just exudes life. And I'm like, listen, lady, like I, you're, you're awesome. And I adore you already, but like, I can't drink milk cause ridiculous. Like I had programmed myself. And by the way, still think milk is so weird. Like I don't drink milk. I don't eat dairy when I do the milk cleanse, I'm still like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Cause now I just do it. Cause it makes me feel good. She tested my blood. She told me her story. She basically 40 years ago had a patient that had, um, parasites and Lyme and she decided to treat the parasites first. And in Ayurveda, there's this ancient way of treating parasites where you, this is gross. You put like a bowl of milk under a kid's butt and the parasites climb out to the milk. So she created, she had adapted this uh, protocol years ago, treated the woman's parasites. Woman came back in, no parasites, no Lyme. Mm. And from there, Linda's been using this for herself and for her patients for many, many years. So I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Um, I'm game. She sends me the milk cleanse. I throw it in my computer bag. I walk around with it in my computer bag for a year. Okay, a before year. you go on, I just want to stop you. What exactly is it? Is it milk you drink? I want to understand what this cleanse no, is. It's, so I, it's like three pill bottles and you source your own milk. This is at the time, right? And, um, and you drink only milk 
and you can have coffee, which I think is a game changer. And you take the supplements that go along with it every two hours for eight days. And I'll, I'm, I'll come back to, to, let me, I'll tell you okay. the inception story and then I'll tell you how we then created it for everybody. Gotcha. Thank you. So I, you know, went to Hawaii for a week, ended up staying in Hawaii for like six months on my mold protocol, just, you know, living and working. And I'd get up at 2 a.m. so that the East Coast had me, you know, in my little computer typing box. And finally, I, um, I was back in Denver, which is where my sister lives. And I was just like, Mel, I can't, I don't know what to do. Like, I had had an experience where I looked at my brother-in-law, who's like, you know, my best friend, and I couldn't remember his name. And I was just like, I have done so much. I've spent all my money. I like, I, like, I, I just don't know what to do. Like, I can't live like this. And she was like, why don't you do the weird milk thing? Like at this point, think about the things you put in your body, Joe, yep. like how weird could this be? It doesn't sound like it could hurt you that much. So I like go to my computer bag and sure enough, the three supplement bottles are like in the bottom, probably expired for all I know. And she and I go to Whole Foods and we buy an entire shopping cart full of goat milk. And I'm like, okay. And I just randomly woke up one day and started drinking milk for eight days. And it was brutal. The first one I did was brutal. Were you taking the pills with the milk? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like every, every two hours I set an alarm, you take the, you take them like religiously, you drink as much milk as you want. I was never hungry. I, it was weird, especially when like my sister and her husband were making like bison burgers and I'm like, okay, this is rude. Right. Like, can you guys go out for dinner? (laughs) Like, is this necessary? Um, and then there's these therapeutic baths that you take that help the body detox. And I, the first, the first milk cleanse I ever did, I herxed a lot. Um, can I assume everybody knows what that means? Yes, you can. Yep. Okay. I, I cycled through symptoms. I would have the worst headache and then I'd, my back pain would just be like, you know, horrible. I was in bed. I mean, but at the same time I would have these great mornings. So we would go hike and all of a sudden, like on day three and four, I was like going up, you know, Colorado Rocky Mountains, right? And I was no longer like pulling myself up on all fours, which is kind of how I've been for years. And my sister and her husband are both like professional fitness trainers. And so they've always just been so patient with me because we always knew something wasn't right. And I was like on my feet and I was like running up the, I had so much energy I felt so good. My joints felt good. My brain started to clear. Within a few days. Oh yeah. Wow. On day six, I had the craziest like release from my brain. It was like this. And Dave afterward told me he had the same thing. His was on day five where like my vision got clear. My memory came back. I mean, I was like, my sister, I was like, oh my God, do you remember this? Do you remember that? She's like, this is amazing. I had this weird thing where all of a sudden I turned into a superhero and like all my veins turned blue. And I, we were like standing in the mirror being like, this is so crazy. And the, um, the weight that my body had been holding just like was falling off. By day seven, 
all my joints felt fine. My head felt fine. Day eight, my sister looked at me and she was like, I haven't seen you for years. The groundedness and the peace and like the energy of that kind of like wiry, jittery feeling that most of us that have been through this know was completely gone. And I felt like a completely new person. So on day nine, I reintroduced food, which I was nervous about because I felt so good. And I called Dr. Linda and I called Dave, the guy who introduced me to her. And I was like, you guys, I don't know if I'm going to feel good in a week. I don't know if I'm going to feel good in six months, but whatever that was, I am a new person and we have to turn this into something so that everybody has access to this. I then let it sit. I resumed my life. My gut was completely reset. My memory was back. My brain fog had completely disappeared. All of my energy from when I was 20 years old returned. I still had back pain, but all my other joint pain was gone. And I was like, I didn't want to tell anybody. I was so nervous. I couldn't get them in to see Linda. I didn't want to like celebrate it because I was so sure I wasn't, I was, it was all going to come back. I waited six months. One of my businesses, um, which was one of my beverage companies called Watermelon Water, was going through a transition and I needed to step in as a CEO for like two months. And I was like, I think I feel good enough to do this. It's a lot of stress and like high, you know, high adrenaline uh, action. I ended up in for two and a half years. The business was like totally turned around, you know, growing 40% year over year. My teams were happy. Everyone was having fun. Like I was in it, never a symptom. I, at one point decided to do the milk cleanse again. Cause I was like, I wonder what this would feel like without all the stuff in my system. I stayed on milk for 23 days. I was like in the craziest intuitive flow. I had the best time. And I, it was then that I was like, we need to, like, I really need to turn this into something. Jody, just to clarify, this is just milk along with supplements, no other food or beverages except possibly coffee is what you said, yeah. correct? Okay. You can drink water. And water. Yeah. And it like, you poop, you poop your face off. It's a cleanse. Like you, you're basically the, the theory in um, Ayurveda is that because milk acts as a magnet for parasites, the milk, only milk in the gut becomes a, uh, a magnet for parasites. And you move, you take an urban or herbal colon builder and it moves through your system. So I, um, I got reinfected. I was in, I think I was in like the, the woods in Northern, in um, upstate New York in like uh, October, November of 2019. And I didn't know it until I started having these weird symptoms. And I was like, shit, did milk cleanse. Totally fine. Never looked back. And it was that one at the end of 2019, where I was like, it's time. So many people need this. I have to tell my story and I have to get this out 
for people who need it most. And so I went into um, product development mode. I took Linda's formulation. She's my business partner and uh, created the milk cleanse. And okay. So before we go into that, Jordan, I have two questions for you. Mm-hmm. So well, really one observation, one question. The first observation is when people are reinfected after they're suffering from late stage tick-borne illness, especially 14, like you did, it's, it's devastating, even more devastating than it was when they first became sick, right? You got reinfected, you did the milk cleanse and you were fine. So I think that's really powerful in itself to emphasize how strong this protocol is and how beneficial it was for you and can be for other people. The second question I have is just understand it a little bit better. You described that in, earlier on that, that in the past, people would use milk, you know, with children, it would pull out the parasites out of their butt. And now we're realizing that, okay, in your, in your gut, when you're drinking the milk and only using milk, it's going to pull and basically draw out all the parasites from your body, pull them into your gut. And then these, these supplements you're taking are helping your liver process them out. So you get them out of your body. So they don't recirculate. Right. But how does it work with Lyme? Because Lyme is not necessarily a parasite, right? So I'm curious, how does this cleanse work to address Lyme and other co-infections that aren't necessarily parasitic in nature? I totally can't answer that. Um, you will notice that on the milk cleanse site and all of our social, we're really, really careful not to like make any claims around that. I, Dr. Linda will talk about the fact that a lot of her patients will use the milk cleanse every year to just stay optimized and in balance. Some people, depending on like how their bodies are need to do it. A lot of people do it three times a year for different types of ailments. Um, I'm really conscientious of not pushing the line on our claims because it's so important that we can be out there for everybody. So I tend to just, you know, use the example of how we know it works from Ayurveda and parasites so that people can just understand how it's working for, you know, things that um, move between, you know, organs and tissues within the system. Well, I think let me say it then, because you have had people that you know and have come into contact with, it sounds like countless people that have had active Lyme in their blood and now they're on the milk cleanse and the Lyme is gone, correct? Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I don't know if it's in their blood, if it's in their gut. If in, it's in their body their in general. Yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. I mean, I get emails every week and this is honestly what keeps me going. And the milk cleanse is a total labor of love. Like I made a promise to myself that if I got myself better, I would help everybody else get better. It's really the only reason it exists in the world. And um, I get emails from people that are like, I was in bed for two years. I had to file personal bankruptcy. I'm writing you from the sidelines of my eight-year-old soccer game. It's the first time I've been able to go. Thank you. Or like people that are like, I, I got one this week. And it was somebody who got to go back to work. And was like so happy and grateful to us because she got to go back to work after months and months and months of just not being able to move. And so it's like, it's the feedback that I get from people that just keeps me like really, you know, in this and, and continuing to tell my story, which I've said a couple of times, I don't love doing because it's like, it's, it's, it's. It's, Jody, um, thank you, because I know it's not comfortable sharing your story, and I know you don't like sharing your story, but sharing your story here today on the Tick Bootcamp podcast has already helped Rich and I, and we know it's going to help thousands of other people. So thank you for being brave enough and doing this, although it's uncomfortable to help the community. And that says something about you and how much you want to help people. So thank you for that. And Rich is going to take over in a second and talk to you more about the, the milk cleanse you built yourself, and you partnered with, it sounds like, Dr. Linda Lancaster, and you're now helping countless people with the milk cleanse. 
Before Rich talks to you about that and the neuropraxis mind modules that you're working with, I just want to ask you about the free medical wave device. I know from our discussions mm -hmm. offline, that's been an integral part of your healing as well. Can you, can you speak briefly about how the free medica wave device has helped you in your healing? Yeah. So um, after I kind of recalibrated my system, I, I thought I was feeling amazing. I was like running watermelon water. I was building a bunch of new brands. I was hiking mountains. Um, and my friend Yolanda Hadid called me and she was like, you have to try this thing. It's amazing. I was like, I don't need it. I feel so good. She's like, I'm telling you, like there's another level of feeling good. And I was like, okay. So I buy the free Medica device and I put it on and there's this 90 day initial protocol. The first 30 days uh, like supports your cells and prepares them. 30 through 60 is programmed for Lyme and Lyme co-infections. And then 60 through 90 is like most of the um, other things, some mold, some bacteria, some like, et cetera, et cetera. I put this thing on, wore it for two days. And on like the third day, I got like a jet fuel boost. And I was just like, oh my God, what is this thing? And I wore it for the whole 90 days. I still wear it sometimes. Like if Judy, I feel... when you say you wear, sorry, when you say you wear it, so this is a wearable device. What is it on your wrist? Oh, yeah. Is your ankle? Sorry, where, sorry. where does it, how does it work? So it's a wearable frequency device that um, I usually wear on my ankle, like on the inside of my ankle. Sometimes I wear it on the inside of my arm if nobody you know is around me. And it uses light to deliver frequencies. So the founder had a daughter that had Lyme and he spent, I think like seven or eight years um, focusing on how to create frequencies that would allow the body to balance from symptoms associated with Lyme's disease and other types of co-infections and stuff that goes along with that. I, again, rolled my eyes a thousand ways. I was like, this is insane. It's basically like using the principles of Nikolai Tesla's work. And all I know is that like, you know, I tried everything. I had had the paddles and the race machines and the this, I mean, I had done everything, which is why the eye roll, right? I was like, I don't know if, if Yolanda is telling me who has also done everything and who has also been through everything. I was like, let me try it. Right. So I had the best time with this thing. Like anything that makes me feel good after everything I've been through, I'm into. Right. And one of my closest friends the other day was like, you're the most expensive friend I have. I'm like, what does that even mean? They're like, I've never felt better in my life but I've got this free Medica thing and I've got this thing and I've got that thing. And like, they're like, I have the, an infrared sauna because of you. And like, you know, all my biohacking things that keep me optimized and feeling good. So I wore the free Medica device on my body. It was super easy for like, it, you're supposed to do it while you sleep. I was wearing it all day and night. I finally pulled all the levels to high and I was like, let's go. And I felt amazing. Um, I now have this philosophy where it's like mold first, the milk cleanse with neuropraxis, which we can talk about. And then the free medical wave device, 
which I have people start on day nine of the milk cleanse just so that they can track how they're feeling during the milk cleanse. And it sets people up for success. So I, I'm sorry, I know Rich wants to talk and I keep jumping in, but you just gave us an outline to success that you have used and many other people have used that you've recommended to through your business and personally and socially. And it's a model for success for people with tick-borne illness, right? So can you just repeat that again? Yeah. I believe you said it was mold. Well, then it I, was just, I just say mold because if anybody knows that they have mold, I think that they should like try to treat that first. But let's say Lyme. The milk cleanse is eight days of the weirdest eight days ever because, and if you have Lyme in your system, you'll probably go through it a bit. So you should carve out eight days to just like relax or recalibrate. We have a YouTube page that has like yoga workouts, people talking about, you know, like different types of um, meditation, people talking about healing, people talking about Ayurveda. We have a bunch of content that's actually outlined to optimize those eight days. It's all free for people if they want to like have some experiences that coincide with um, the, the cleanse itself. And then I also created a, an, an, a digital app. It's an iPhone app, but there's also a web version for non-iPhone users called Neuropraxis. And Neuropraxis is based on my partner, Lisa Wimberger's trademarked neurosculpting. She's created a format that um, op, like plays with our innate neuroplasticity. What we've discovered is that the limbic system can have a huge part in how our symptoms either go away or resurface. And so for neurosculpting, for neuropraxis, the app, we've taken her five-part neurosculpting, which is like, um, it starts with making the body feel safe. She connects with the prefrontal cortex of the mind. She connects the left and right brain hemispheres. And then she allows us to get into the midbrain where we can then repattern. And what we did with the app is we organized it in two parts. So one is acute active symptomology. And the second is like prevention and maintenance. And there's everything, there's some quickies, like we call them the feel goods that are five minutes, but most of them are like 15 to 20 minutes. And it covers everything from the body, physical pain, anxiety, um, stress, you know, light sensitivity, joint aches, like all the physical stuff. It covers the psychological topics related to distrusting the medical system, you know, feeling like there's no, no, no direction left to turn. Um, so we've covered everything. I basically sat on an airplane one day after I, all my back pain was eradicated and outlined every symptom anybody in any doctor's office had ever shared with me. And we created a neuropraxis module for every single one. So we have people all over the world using it on a daily basis and repatterning all of their symptoms. So Jordan, I'm going to ask you just specifically as part of your journey of achievement to first talk about the, um, the milk cleanse, right? Okay. Is it your belief in your personal experience? I'm not asking you to make any general representations in your personal experience what the milk cleanse did is it rid you of the parasites that then allowed your immune system to manage the Lyme or did the milk cleanse also help with your Lyme and co-infections, that whole list you had given us from your hygienics test? I don't know. All I know is that after I did an eight day milk cleanse, 
I got better. And that includes everything. But then you got even better, you, you got better uh, after you after you took Yolanda Hadid's advice and you used the free medical wave device. I so didn't get better after that. I just got a lot of energy. So it just, it just like, it kind of amped me up, but I was fully, like I had negative tests after the milk cleanse. My friend, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to look at how your experience was sort of layering or you, you were designing your healing again, which is what I think is really beautiful about your story and about, you know, going back to, you know, the, the beginning of this podcast where you're a little girl, you discover your artistic creativity and your, your artistic talents, you're developing all of that. You develop this design capacity and now you're, now you're designing this, this solution. And I'm trying to understand how you, how you went from being symptom free to then building on being symptom free after you had completed the milk cleanse. I think that um, there's a difference between being symptom free and being optimized. Okay. So I got to the place where I was like totally symptom free and felt great. And then I got into the, the mode of like, now I get to optimize. Okay. And now I'm there. Like that's the space I live in. Right. Okay. So, so, you, so, so do you believe the free medical wave device helped you to become physiologically optimized? And that's why you then needed to uh, develop the neuropraxis mind modules because you now needed to also be neurologically optimized or is the neural uh, neuroplexus mind modules um, to change the pathways that had been damaged by the disease that was caused by Lyme? Neither. So I, the milk cleanse and neuroplexus are, are mine and yeah. I did them together, I, I launched them together. Um, I don't believe it has anything to do with damage from, I think it has to do with the innate way that the brain works and the ability that we now have, know that we have to um, manage and sculpt and optimize our limbic system. So for example, when you, we've all heard of like a, a diabetic that loses their foot and people have phantom pain. Right. That happens because there's, a, there's a, a loop in the limbic system that tells the brain that there's pain in the foot. Okay. So wouldn't the same thing happen with people who have Lyme disease? For example, they could get into a loop as a result of their body responding to this disease. And then the disease is now like the foot removed in your case with the milk cleanse, but the loop continues. And what the neuropraxis uh, mind modules do is it stops the loop, right? Yeah. I just don't know. I'm not an expert to know how it gets there. Right. I think that there's lots of other external triggers too. Right. So like if somebody has a connection to their job and there's a trigger with their environment or a person or something that can also stimulate those symptoms. So neuropraxis um, is a resource for people to restructure. Not, I, I just, I'm not um, an expert enough to know how the connection between mold and Lyme and chronic illness and getting to those places, how that, how that is sparked. I just know that this is a way to smooth it and rebalance it. Okay. 
But you're so you the three pieces for your healing. Again, we're just talking about you, and you're not making any claims for anyone else. We want to yeah. be careful about that, right? For you, it was the milk cleanse, it was the free medical wave device, and then ultimately the the reprogramming of your of your limbic system uh, through um, through the, um, the the modules that you designed with your your partner. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about the transformation that has occurred in Jody, right? You, you, you've been on this journey, both watching other people suffer, dealing with your own suffering and overcoming your suffering. And now you feel called to bring this to the world. Talk to us about how you decided to do that and why you decided to use the entrepreneurial model rather than some of the other models that might've been available to you. Like what? Like the not-for-profit model or the academic model or any other model that could have been used. You're, you're using an entrepreneurial model. And, and that seems to be where you've You've developed your 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 expertise, and talk about why the entrepreneurial model is better than the not-for-profit model, at least for the uh, for the uh, distribution of this of the solution to uh, to the world. Um, well, a lot of ways, a lot of reasons. One is nonprofits take an extraordinary amount of time to form, and I wanted to get this out as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, the second is that many of the resources in my life rather related to like building products and producing products and supply chain and creating, you know, the storytelling to get like information out and PR and, you know, like the models that I know are related to developing products and sharing products with the world. So I wanted to be able to rely on my teams and my resources and, and what is second nature to me. Um, I also knew that the milk cleanse and neuropraxis could help a lot of people that were not struggling with tick-borne illnesses or parasites. You know, it's like, it's an amazing way to reset the, the gut and the brain. And, you know, after these crazy kind of like cold and flu um, seasons that we're having in this wild time, people are doing four day micro cleanses and just getting rid of brain fog and like clearing their systems and leaning out. And so, um, I just knew that like, if I could play in the space that I really had a lot of connections, which happens to be wellness and biohacking, I could really rely on the people that care about me and knew my story to help amplify this to the world. Okay. So talk to us about how it's going. How are, um, how are folks responding to this? And uh, actually, before I ask you that, when did you launch this? And then talk to us about how uh, folks are responding. I launched it in March of 2020, in the beginning of the pandemic, when um, nobody really knew what was happening. I launched the company. I launched the product in June of 2020, in the midst of this crazy time where, you know, e-commerce and direct-to-consumer um, marketing was becoming more and more expensive and challenging. This is by far the most humbling experience of my life. I'm somebody that's always built like huge scale brands and spectacles and, you know, in person, like big live events and things like this. And now I'm like, we're all in this world of, you know, Google dollars and ad spends and Amazon. And it's like, it's not my happy place, but I'm doing it because I really want to get this out to people. Um, it is I, it, everything I know about building businesses and marketing. I have broken every rule, like to create a product that's based on drinking milk 
that like most people have a negative association with. I mean, the things I hear about milk related to like, you know, people like people who had relationships to like church when they were kids or their grandparents that forced fed them or, you know, are in the wellness space and hate milk. I mean, it's people hate milk. Yeah, you know, but Jody, I love milk. I stopped great. No, but I, I mean, I love milk and I love cheese, but milk and cheese don't love me. Right. And 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 you know what? what I've actually removed dairy from my from my diet, uh, and I've come to understand that it, it's inflammatory for me. Uh, so that's why I've stopped uh, stopped enjoying these these products. So you know, I'm really excited. I'd love to do a milk cleanse. I'd love to have eight days of milk if it you know if it was going to be healthy for me. And I'm just wondering whether or not. It's good in a cleansing arena because I'm, I have some concerns about the inflammatory nature of it, but not maybe all the time. And, and where are you on that? Again, let's use Jody as the example. Are you just using the milk products during the cleanse period and then you, then you stop using milk products or are you just using milk all the time? No, I only use it when it's only milk. So I use it for the magnetic effects in these moments. Just and the cleanse. Just the cleanse. And Linda, Dr. Linda has been using it for so long and she'll, you know, there's people that are hardcore vegan that do the milk cleanse four times a year because it, it fully resets the system. So, so the truth is like, I also associate dairy with inflammation and I, you know, it doesn't do great things for me. I tell anybody that's truly anaphylactic to milk, you can't do the milk cleanse, but anybody where like, they're used to the kind of, you know, sticky, icky, gut wrenching effects of milk. It's sort of like you just want it to do that for eight days and you get the benefits of it. And if people can handle it, great. But it is why we recommend goat milk. Goat milk is a lot easier to digest than traditional dairy, traditional cow's milk. But yeah, like, you know, because you're one of them. I launched this product where people like with this ingredient that people have the stigma towards or a hundred different stigma stigmas towards. And yet I still keep going even in the midst of this insane supply chain crisis, because it's just, I made this promise to myself. And this is where my loyalty to my promises really gets in the way of, you know, what's probably the best thing to do for my bank account and, you know, for my sanity. But I, I just, I get emails like the ones I told you about and I just have to keep going. So give us a couple more examples of that before I ask you our last question, uh, the tick bootcamp question. Um, give us a couple more examples of folks who have, uh, you know, given you testimonials and thank you for changing their life or in some cases, maybe even saving their lives. I, um, oh my God, there's so many. So, there, I have people who like go to weddings, you know, and get bit by a tick and they pull the tick out and they're like, Oh my God, what do I do? Right. And like, they have the negative effects of getting bit by a tick and they suffer for six months because, you know, they don't necessarily understand what we all do. They haven't lived with this for forever. They haven't immersed themselves in how backwards and inside out the acceptance of this is in our society and in our government. And, um, and then they really suffer and they call me and they're like, what do I do? Who do I go to? And I'm just like, I wish there was some doctor that I could tell you is going to save you. But I honestly believe that if you just do this weird thing, 
you're going to feel good and you're never going to look back. Or if you do look back, you'll have the thing to do. And they do it. And then they call me and they're like, oh my God, I never believed you. I finished it three months ago. I didn't want to tell you anything because I didn't believe it was good. It was too good to be true. I feel amazing. You know, and everybody that's involved with the business, um, my co-founders, people that have worked with me, helped build the business, the woman that's running it, every single person has like done this and it's transformed their lives. And we're, you know, out there every day. It's like most of us had Lyme, like chronic Lyme for years and we did it and it was this wild awakening. Um, some have had parasites and like, you know, didn't feel good. And like, or we'll be like, oh my God, wait, all of the stuff that we're talking about, people not feeling good. I have all that. And I'm like, okay, drink, 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 drink. And they come back and they're like, oh my God, I'm on fire. Right. And they're like, they're just lit up and it's amazing. So it's weird, but it's easy. So uh, just so that we, uh, I know you have a hard stop shortly. You've been very generous with your time. So we, we'd like you to just give us, uh, give our folks some information um, how would folks get in touch with uh, your company and how would they get the, 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 the product and what would it cost for them to go through an eight day milk cleanse? So the, you can go to the milk You can order it right from there. Um, it's two ninety five. There's also the milk cleanse is on Amazon. So if anybody, we, we have a, we're working with Amazon so that people that like just need it immediately can get it prime overnight. Um, it's hard to find. I'll have to send you guys the link just in case anybody needs it. Please do. Um, and Neuropraxis, if anybody wants to look into Neuropraxis, the website for neuropraxis.com for uh, any non-Apple users, every Apple user can go to the app store and download it. Um, and I'm also a huge fan of using infrared sauna for ongoing maintenance. Um, I like sunlighting, but you know, any really good quality, like, uh, infrared sauna is great. The wave device is awesome. Um, as a, an adjunct to the process, um, it's a little bit more expensive for people that have kind of, I'm very conscientious of people that have been through these processes for years and years and have just spent so much money, but, um, it's, it's really worth it. Uh, and not just for those 90 days, like I still wear mine, you know, when I'm going too hard or I'm doing too much and all the things. And, um, yeah. So Jody, the last question we ask everyone on this podcast, but I don't think I need to ask you because I think I can guess the answer. If God forbid someone you loved came walking into the room right after the podcast ended and they had a tick biting them, I'm assuming you would have them remove the tick and go through the milk cleanse. So my answer is going to surprise you. Okay. I'm not a doctor and I'm not diagnosing, but if somebody calls me and they're like, I got bit by a tick, my answer is take doxycycline immediately. Because if somebody can prevent going through everything we've all been through, like it is worth it to, and I'm not huge on antibiotics and I'm certainly never seen anybody with long, um, you know, Lyme get better from antibiotics. I can't wait till one day I can see that, but I do see people get better quickly from doxy. And I will tell you as somebody who doesn't like antibiotics, if I went outside right now and I had a tick in my, in me, it'd be the first thing that I did. So Jody, you asked me earlier whether or not I love you and I have to now give you the answer. I do love you. 
And I oh. thank you. I thank you for joining the Take Boot Camp, and I really <laughs> thank you for surprising me with your answer to the to the final question. So, with, so that we uh, we do not uh, violate your 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 request that we we have a hard stop now. We are going to stop now. And again, I just want to thank you, uh, and and on behalf of myself, Matt, and our entire community for not only spending time with us on a Take Boot Camp podcast, but for creating this beautiful set of products and this product line that you're now offering at a very reasonable price to everybody in the uh, tick disease community. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me and giving me the space to share my story. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Jody Levy. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Jody Levy, please visit our Instagram pages at Native Nomad or The Milk Cleanse. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.